Uh, I got to get something off of my mind uh, right away, but yeah, I've been to the dentist a lot, and I've never had acid. Uh, I don't even think my dentist has acid, so <laughs> I'm just saying. I know a good lawyer too. If it uh, that's so hard to follow that story, but hey, uh, glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, glad to be able to open up God's word with you, and. Uh, uh, no doubt you heard this week about the passing of Billy Graham uh, all over the news. What an amazing legacy of ministry he had, and an amazing example for us uh, over such a long period of time. And uh, you probably even saw the, the same inspirational quote that I saw from Billy Graham. He said, uh, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. And certainly there's joy in heaven over the arrival of Billy Graham there. Uh, What you might not know is that Billy Graham borrowed that quote, actually, from another equally impressive servant of God. D.L. Moody was, for the, the 19th century, what Billy Graham was for the 20th century, just an incredibly influential and effective evangelist. And, and Graham looked to Moody as a hero in, in a lot of different ways. And, and D.L. Moody, he said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that's all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Well, both men certainly were used mightily by God, and both men have the kind of uh, legacy that we can look to as an example, that we can aspire to. And I I came across a a story about D.L. Moody that really highlights, I think, one of the keys to living this kind of a life of legacy. And the story is told about a, a large group of European pastors. They came to one of D.L. Moody's uh, Bible conferences in Massachusetts in the late 1800s. And uh, following the European custom of that time, they put their shoes outside of their room so that the hall servants could come and polish them in the night. Well, of course, this is America. There were no hall servants. Well, walking the dormitory halls, D.L. Moody was late at night, and he saw these shoes, and he didn't want all of his his European brothers to be embarrassed when they woke up in the morning. And so he, he mentioned the need to a couple of ministry students who happened to be at the conference, and, and he was just met with, with uh, excuses or, or silence. And so he returned to the dorm, Moody did, and he gathered up the shoes, and he went into his room, and he spent the night polishing these shoes. And he, he wouldn't have told anybody, nobody would have known, except a, a friend uh, arrived unexpectedly at night to visit him and, and saw him in the midst of his work. Well, when these foreign visitors opened their doors the next morning, there's their shoes, nice and shined, and they never knew who had done it. Moody told nobody, but his friend told a couple of people, and so for the rest of the conference, different people took turns uh, shining the shoes in secret. And I think maybe this episode is a little bit of why God used D.L. Moody in such a profound way. He, he was a man with a servant's heart, and uh, that's really the basis of his true greatness. Well, in the same way... Uh, The best statement I read about Billy Graham this past week is that he spent his entire life trying to make somebody else famous, talking, of course, about Jesus. Certainly both men found joy in serving the Lord, right? And as we continue with our series, Choose Joy, we're going to talk about exactly that, about finding joy 
in serving the Lord. We've been working our way through the book of Philippians, and in our passage today, Paul points out uh, the example of two different men, two different men who are examples. One is an example of leaders, and one is an example for servants. And I think we'll find qualities in in both these men that we can all emulate, that we can copy, qualities we want to see in increasing measure in our own lives, and uh, qualities that will bring us joy as we serve the Lord and as we lead others. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, and we're going to look at starting in verse 19. You could just kind of bookmark that, and we're going to get to it in just a few moments. We're going to talk about a couple of different passages before that. And so so there's an example for leaders here. There's an example for servants. And let's talk about the example for leaders first. Paul holds out Timothy as that example. And if you remember way back in the very beginning of Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy are together. Uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians from prison, and, uh, and Timothy has stuck with them there. He stuck with them through some difficult times. And uh, Paul and Timothy, they have a really special relationship they've developed. And, and Timothy's leadership starts off in a really fascinating way. It starts off in a way that has a lot to teach us as leaders. We first meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16, Acts 16, and uh, at this time in Acts, Paul's already taken one missionary journey, traveling all over the place with uh, Barnabas, sharing the gospel and starting some churches. And by the time we get to Acts 16, Paul is really interested in taking another trip. He wants to go back and, and revisit the places that he's been and encourage those places. Uh, and, and, but he and Barnabas have a falling out. You can read all about it at the end of Acts 15. And so Paul sets out on this journey, revisiting these places that he's been. And in one of these stops, he meets Timothy. So let's uh, just look at Acts 16, uh, verse 1. I'll put it on the screens for us. Uh, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So that's our introduction to Timothy. Paul's gone, again, to revisit some of these churches that he founded, and at one of these churches, Timothy's there. He's apparently come to faith through this church. He's growing there, and, uh, and the text describes him a disciple, so we know he's a believer, but notice it says the other believers spoke well of him. He's got a favorable reputation there. He's done some things that have been a positive. And so, so that means he's been tested a little bit. He's, he's maybe done some teaching in the church or served in some other kind of ways, and it's gone pretty well. He's taken the opportunities that God has given him, and he's, he's done well with them, and well enough that the people have noticed. They, he's got a positive reputation. The other believers speak well of him. And so they know that here's Timothy. He's a dependable guy. He's trustworthy. He's capable of ministry, and so, so when Paul comes around, Timothy's ready. He's ready for what comes next. He's done enough ministry and, and been faithful in that that he's ready for this next step, this next challenge. And so Paul's ready to take him on as a companion and as a leader in the rest of this journey. He's kind of proven himself in some ways. But I want us to notice what happens next, because it's what happens next that really, to my mind, sets Timothy apart, not as just a guy who's just a faithful servant but as a real leader and as a real example for leaders. So if you look at, at places, other places that Paul talks about Timothy in the Scriptures, it seems that, uh, that Timothy's mother was really his, his primary spiritual guiding force in his life. In Second uh, Timothy, Paul talks about the fact that Timothy's faith came from his grandmother and his mother, and uh, that's kind of his primary uh, influence in his life. And it's not totally clear if Timothy's dad was, was a believer or maybe just quiet about it, or if he wasn't a believer at all, or 
maybe he was even dead, and Timothy's raised by a single mom. I don't know. But, uh, but in any case, that's the only real mark against Timothy, and that's not even his fault. He has nothing to do with that, right? But, uh, so, so with that in mind, look at the next verse in, in Acts 16, verse 3. Uh, Paul wanted to take him, Timothy, along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for people to obey. And so, so this moment is really what sets Timothy apart as a leader and as an example for leaders. Timothy makes a big sacrifice here. And I don't just mean he's sacrificing a little bit of foreskin. I mean, that's its own sacrifice, frankly. You know, it's one thing to be circumcised as a baby. It's a whole other ball game to do it as an adult. I can imagine that would be a real sacrifice. But... But it's not the act of circumcision so much as it's the decision. Timothy decides to do this, or at least he allows it, and that's the example for leaders. So why is this such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because of the context. I don't know uh, uh, how things work in your Bible. This is the beginning of Acts 16, but in my Bible, Acts 15 comes before Acts 16. Yeah, I know, I know. So what's so important about Acts 15? Acts 15 describes this major controversy in the church. There's this group of people that are coming in and they're saying, hey, in order to be a Christian, you really got to be a Jew first. You got to go through all these Jewish rituals. And one of the, the big marks of being Jewish, one of the signs that you're in covenant with God is circumcision. It, it goes all the way back to Genesis. God uh, chose it as a sign that you were in a special relationship with God. And, and, and some of the people in Acts 15, they're saying, hey, God created circumcision as a sign that we're chosen, we're set apart for him. And so if you're going to be a believer in Jesus, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to be aligned with what God has already decided. So this is a big controversy. I mean, all the early church, they had this, this big meeting in Acts 15 to talk about it. They've got to sort it out once and for all because there's some people who think this way, some people who think the other way. And so they pray and they study the scriptures and they gather all the apostles together to figure out once and for all. Do you have to be a Jew? Do you have to go through these rituals in order to be a Christian? Well, of course... We're all here. We know the answer to that question. We don't do any of those things, all right? So, so that's what they decided. They said, no, you don't have to do those things. You just have to put your faith in Jesus. It's as simple as that, right? So the apostles, that's the decision they come to. You, you, these rituals, things like circumcision, they don't make you a Christian. That has nothing to do with it. Uh, it's just you put your faith in Jesus, what he's already done. It's as simple as that. So that's a big decision that they make. And then they decide, well, we've got to communicate this decision. We've got to just tell all these churches that have been started all over the world, we've got to let them know what we decided. And so they decide to send out Paul with this, this letter, this letter that basically says, hey, you don't need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. And so I share all this with you to highlight the fact that, that Acts 15 comes before Acts 16. This, this big decision in Acts 15, it comes before we meet Timothy here in Acts 16. In Acts 16, Paul's going around to all these churches with this letter. He's got the letter. The letter says, you don't have to be circumcised to follow Jesus. In fact, Acts 16.4, it says, they traveled around from town to town. They delivered the decision reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. That's what they're doing. And this teaches us something really significant about Timothy as a leader. Paul is on this journey with this letter. 
And yet he wants Timothy to be circumcised before he can go and be a leader on the journey with him. Look at Acts 16 again. It says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived. His mother was a Jewess and a believer. His father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, but Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he had him circumcised because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, so Paul knows he doesn't have to do this. And Timothy understands he doesn't have to do this. The letter says, you don't have to do this. So why does he do it? It's because he's a leader. And leaders make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. Timothy is shaping his life around what's best for the gospel. Even if it costs him something, his main priority is seeing the gospel advance. Timothy is an example to leaders because he's willing to make a sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. It seems that the Jews in the area, they wouldn't have taken him seriously if he wasn't uh, Jewish enough, if he didn't bear all the right marks. And so he, he purposefully decides to be circumcised, not for his own sake, but for their sake, for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of them coming to understand and embrace the gospel. He's a leader, and he knows that leaders make sacrifices for the gospel, even if it doesn't make any sense. Like the quote I shared about Billy Graham. He spent his whole life making somebody else famous. That doesn't make any sense. But leaders make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. And Timothy understood this was not a necessary step. Paul knew it wasn't a necessary step. In fact, it's not even the first time it had come up for Paul. He'd, he'd been down this line of thinking before with a different leader. In the book of Galatians, Paul's talking about the very same issue about is circumcision necessary for the gospel? And he knew it wasn't. In, in Galatians, he's talking about, hey, the gospel is only about putting your faith in Jesus. That's it. Not about any external rituals. And he says there in Galatians, he says, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So here's the same situation, a situation where Titus is stepping into leadership and he makes the opposite choice from Timothy. Well, that highlights to me all the more that Timothy's making a real sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of people responding to him as a leader and responding to the gospel. He doesn't want any barriers. So if you're a leader, you've probably already made some sacrifices. Maybe not a physical sacrifice like Timothy, but certainly sacrificed your time or sacrificed significant amounts of money. I was talking to Pastor Edgar and his wife Maria the other day, and we were talking about the, the difficulty of living far away from our families. That's its own sacrifice. Uh, if you're a leader, you've made sacrifices. And I want to encourage you that those sacrifices can be an example to other people. God's going to honor you for the sacrifices that you make. And let me encourage you too, there's more sacrifices to make. This is not the only time Timothy made a sacrifice in his leadership. In fact, Paul tells him later on, he says, hey, drink a little wine. The leadership has taken a toll on you. You've got to relax. That's my paraphrase there. <laughs> but the point is, if you're a leader, you have made sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. And I want to encourage you to keep it up. Jesus himself, he says, Everyone who has left home or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions 
sacrifices. And in the age to come, we'll receive eternal life, he says. Now, if you're a person who desires leadership, you need to see this example from Timothy 2. You need to understand that leadership requires sacrifices. If you're a person who desires leadership, let me just challenge you to think carefully about what kind of sacrifices you need to make in order to put yourself in position for the next step. Because notice, Timothy, he was well spoken of before this ever happened. He was doing great ministry. Before he was ready to take the next step, though, he had to make a big sacrifice. God called him into that before he could step into the next level of his leadership. So one leadership lesson from Timothy is simply that leaders make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. But I want us to notice a couple of other leadership lessons we can learn from Timothy. In Philippians, Paul holds up Timothy as an example for leaders. And there's a couple of things, two specific things, that Timothy models for all of us who are leaders and we can all learn from. So let's flip to Philippians 2. Let's look at that starting in verse 19. Uh, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So, so this is Paul's uh, commendation of Timothy. He points to Timothy as an example for leaders. And there's two things that Timothy models here. First, he models dedication. Dedication. Look at verse 20. This phrase he, uh, takes a genuine interest in your welfare. That's a key phrase. The phrase it translates some words that really, I think, get to the heart of leadership. Another translation, it says, Timothy will readily demonstrate his deep concern. And the idea is just that, that Timothy's preoccupied with ministry. He, he wakes up thinking about it. He goes to sleep thinking about it. He's, he's constantly praying about the, the, his role in, in the church, and, and he's just preoccupied. He's dedicated. That's an example for leaders, constantly burdened for what God wants to do and how God wants to work in the church and through the church. That's a mark of leadership, and that's what Timothy models. So if you're a leader, measure yourself against that. Is that a description of you? Are you preoccupied with what God's called you to? Do you have that level of dedication? And if you're a person who desires leadership, is that a description of you? Are you preoccupied with what God wants to do in your life? What steps do you need to take to get to that place? Uh, I've not always been a pastor. Uh, For many years, I was a high school teacher. That was my calling. And uh, as I was faithfully serving the Lord, teaching high school students, my wife really began to feel like we were called into full-time ministry. I thought she was crazy. Uh, Because I felt like I was doing important work in the lives of students. And, uh, you know, we were serving in our church quite a bit, you know, giving faithfully and praying. We'd led a growth group, all these kinds of things. But uh, one day we were visiting my aunt and uncle, and they were lifetime career missionaries. They spent their whole lives in Africa serving the Lord. And, uh, and my wife, Ann, she asked my aunt, she said, well, how did you know when you're called into ministry leadership? And my aunt's answer was very simple. She said, well, she knew that she was called when she just couldn't imagine herself doing anything else. Well, at the time, I could imagine myself doing other things. I really felt like my, like teaching was my ministry. I know those of you who teach, you can, you can relate to that, I'm sure. But uh, over time, God changed me. He began to preoccupy me 
with ministry. And slowly, I began to emphasize ministry over other things. My priorities changed. My, my focus and my energy changed. And, and ministry began to really consume me. It became my preoccupation. And that's when I knew that I was called into full-time ministry. And that's when God called me to make sacrifices, just like Timothy. That's what leaders do. They're dedicated. They're, they're preoccupied with ministry. So dedication, that's one of the things that Timothy models for leaders. And Paul commends him to the Philippian church for his dedication. The other thing he models here in Philippians is simply the fact that he's qualified. Uh, the passage tells us he's proven himself, verse 22. He's, he's demonstrated faithfulness in leadership. Timothy's been put to the test more than once, and he's passed. He's served alongside Paul, and he's held his own. I can only imagine how difficult it would be to keep up with a guy like Paul, but Timothy's done it. He's proven himself, and that's a good example for leaders. Leaders are dependable over and over and over again. They prove themselves. You know, leadership's not just a one-time commitment. It's significant. It's, it's continual, and that's what Timothy demonstrates over and over again. I think, again, about the, the legacy of Billy Graham, not just a few years of faithful ministry, but but decades of leadership. That's an example for us to follow, proving himself over and over and over again. They say that trust is earned in pennies and it's spent in dollars, right? That's true, especially for leaders. For a leader to prove himself or prove herself, it takes a lot of deposits over and over and over again, just just penny after penny. And it seems that, that Timothy has been faithful to do that. So for us as leaders, that's a measurement we can use to evaluate ourselves. Are we continuing to prove ourselves over and over and over again? Are we continuing to be faithful in our calling? Or are we letting a few things slip here and there? If trust is earned in pennies, but it's spent in dollars, how's our account? And again, if you're a person who aspires to leadership, my challenge to you is you've got to count the cost. Are you prepared for that level of commitment to to invest over and over and over again and end up with just pennies to prove yourself over and over again without rest. That's leadership. So Timothy, such a valuable example of leadership. He makes sacrifices. He's dedicated. He's qualified, qualified by repeated actions over and over again. He's earned that trust but there's another example here in Philippians, another example Paul shares that uh, you know, he, he wants the church to find joy in serving, to find joy in their role, either as leaders or as servants. So he points to Timothy as this example for leaders, and he points to this man named Epaphroditus as an example for servants. So let's look at that example of Epaphroditus. Uh, first, just a brief background about Epaphroditus. And I say brief because we really don't know much of anything about him. He's a servant, and so he stays out of the limelight. Uh, in fact, we, don't know, we wouldn't know anything about him if not for this brief paragraph in Philippians 2. He'd be totally unknown if Paul hadn't used him as an example here. So that's its own learning, perhaps, that he's, he's so busy serving, spending his life serving, not so he can earn recognition, right? He's like uh, uh, D.L. Moody, shining shoes in the middle of the night. But we learned a little bit about him from this paragraph and from what Paul shares about him here in Philippians. Uh, so uh, let's read the passage together. Philippians 2, uh, starting in verse 25. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you. He's distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. 
But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So his name, Epaphroditus, it means something like uh, amiable or, or friendly or easygoing, and uh, he seems to have lived up to that name. Just His whole life is really just a testament to how he's, he's willing to do whatever is needed. Uh, he's just serving the Lord with joy. He serves Paul, and he serves the church in just a variety of different ways. You know, as a leader, you tend to be focused on one or two key areas, things that God has equipped you for. But as a servant, you're doing all kinds of different stuff, and that seems to be the case for Epaphroditus. He's just doing a variety of things. He's been sent by the Philippians to Paul to just tend to Paul's needs. Uh, He's a servant or or a deacon. That word deacon just means servant, and it actually comes from a compound word that means to stir up the dust. And the idea is just that uh, you're so busy serving, going here, going there, up and down the street, that you're just stirring up dust with all your activity. That's, that's what a servant is. And, and that's Epaphroditus. Whatever Paul needs, he's doing it. He's stirring up dust here and stirring up dust there. You know, Paul is uh, he's in prison, and ancient prison, not the same as prison today. They don't provide you with a uniform and all kinds of things like that. You've got to meet your own basic needs on your own. And so Paul, he would be in need of some food or some clothing or maybe some medical care. And Epaphroditus, he's doing all that, just serving him in those ways, stirring up dust to get him whatever he needs. And, uh, you know, the Philippians, they're gathered around. They hear about what happens to Paul. He gets arrested, and they think, man, we've got to do something. What can we do? We should, we should send him some help. And who are they going to send? Epaphroditus. His, his character, his humility make him the perfect choice to go and to serve Paul in that way. And just the journey from Philippi to Rome, that's its own sacrifice. I mean, Epaphroditus probably would have walked most of that journey. I mean, he would walk till you had to get on a boat and sail to Rome. But uh, I didn't bother to calculate the mileage from Philippi to Rome, but that's a long trip. That's a lot of walking. I mean, months of walking, I, I imagine. And so just that act of service alone is really something. And Epaphroditus does it. He does it even though it's risky. It's costly to himself. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And so, so he's just serving Paul by meeting some of Paul's basic needs. But he also serves Paul by carrying this letter back to the church at Philippi. That's how they got the letter from Paul. So he makes this treacherous long journey back, right? But the example of Epaphroditus really is just summed up in one word, willingness. He's just willing to do whatever it takes He goes on a long, dangerous journey. He cares for Paul. He's nursing his wounds, whatever. He's going to wear a variety of hats because that's where the needs are. He's just ready to stir up dust. And notice how Paul describes in verse 25. He says, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who's also your messenger. That's a lot of hats to wear. A lot of things that he's doing. He's a brother, just somebody who loves Jesus. And he's a a fellow worker. That's a term that refers specifically to a person who goes above and beyond in advancing the gospel. He's willing to do whatever it takes to advance the gospel. He's a fellow soldier, willing to put himself at risk and put himself in danger. Not just journeying all that way, but he's, he's associating himself with a known criminal. He could be thrown in jail himself if he's not careful, but he's willing to take that risk for the sake of the gospel. That's why Epaphroditus is an example to servants because he's willing to do whatever it takes. 
And the rest of the little paragraph talks about how Epaphroditus risked his own health in order to serve, putting the needs of Paul, the needs of the church ahead of his own. The phrase uh, risked his life in verse 30 is literally gambled with his life. He's just, he's putting it all on the line to see the gospel advanced. No regard for himself. That's a powerful example. So as we look at these examples, Timothy, this example for leaders, and Epaphroditus, this example for servants, I hope that you're inspired by these guys. I hope you're inspired to be like Epaphroditus, just willing to give your life in service of the Lord. And I hope you're inspired to lead like Timothy, making sacrifices to see the gospel advanced. I hope you're inspired to position yourself for the next level of leadership. And I want to leave us with two different applications, two ways that we can really apply these examples to our lives. And the first application is for servants. Uh, A lot of times, people will recommend books to me, which is great. I love to read books. And uh, a lot of times, people recommend books that are helpful, sometimes really, really helpful. But it's not very often that somebody recommends a children's book to me. And yet, I want to share with you a children's book that was recommended to me by a friend. And I want to share it with you because it's a really impactful book. And, uh, and it gets to the heart of what we're talking about, about just serving the Lord and, and finding joy in that. And, and the book is called Ordinary Mary's Extraordinary Deed. Uh, the book tells a story about Mary, just an ordinary kid. And it says, one ordinary day, skipping on her way from her ordinary school to her ordinary house... She passed an ordinary vacant lot filled with ordinary bushes growing ordinary berries, ordinary blue and juicy, luscious, lovely berries. So Mary decides she's going to pick some of these berries and she leaves them in a bowl on her neighbor's porch. Just an ordinary deed, just a, a simple act of service for her neighbor, just serving her neighbor with joy. Well, the neighbor's so pleased to get these berries that she decides to bake them into some muffins and she gives them to five different people. Well, that ordinary deed sets into motion several more ordinary deeds. And each of those five people who got a plate of muffins, they do their own ordinary deed to five other people. Uh, A doctor buys balloons for five of his patients who are children. A homeless woman gets a meal from someone. A lost wallet is returned. All sorts of ordinary deeds. Deeds that are just simple and humble ways to serve other people. Well, eventually, all this kindness finds its way back to Mary. Somebody does something nice for her. And in the process, the whole world is changed because those muffins went to five people and each of those five people serve five other people. Then this is how it goes down. Take a look. All these people were impacted by ordinary Mary. And the book concludes this way. It says, well... Six billion is even more than all the people on the planet. So after everyone had a share and everybody knew that somebody cared, there was even love left over. The world was changed. And thousands and millions and billions agreed it was all because one ordinary day, ordinary Mary did a perfectly ordinary, stunningly earth-shaking, totally extraordinary deed. So it's really a simple book, uh, but it's a very impactful book. One act of service can literally change the world. What joy there is to be found in in contemplating that, right? So I want us to just consider what ordinary deeds we can do. Even just one ordinary deed that can advance the gospel in our neighborhood and then around the world. Even just this week, I want to challenge us to serve in one ordinary way and just see how God uses it to impact the world for the gospel. 
So there's one more application for servants, one more way we can apply these examples to our lives, and it's simply this. Stir up the dust. Get busy. We said this word deacon, this word servant comes from a compound word that just means to stir up the dust, so start stirring up dust. You can't stir up dust when we're all sitting here together. Let's get busy. The, the whole world is waiting for us to stir up dust for the sake of Christ, and in that we're going to find joy. So there's another application for leaders, for those of us who are leaders. We can apply this example of Timothy to our own lives, and it starts with some self-examination. Are we leading like Timothy? Does our life measure up to that example? Are we willing to make sacrifices, big sacrifices, in order to see the gospel advanced? One quote I read about the passage stuck with me. In, In talking about Timothy, one writer said, such an example brings its own challenge and rebuke to an easygoing Christianity which makes no stern demands and calls for no limits of self-denying, self-effacing sacrifice. Well, is our Christianity easygoing? Or does it challenge us? Because there's no limits to the amount of sacrifices that God might call us to. Just look at the example of Jesus. Are we willing to gamble our lives for the sake of the gospel? Another area we should evaluate ourselves in is this. Are we preoccupied with ministry? Do we wake up thinking about our leadership? Do we go to bed thinking about it? Are our prayers only for ourselves, or are we praying for the people that God has us leading? Are we praying for this church and for its leaders? Does our ministry consume our passion? And finally, for leaders, are we growing We were qualified at one time to step into our current leadership role, but are we continuing to grow in that? That's another area for self-evaluation. We want to continue to be qualified more and more, to see the gospel advance more and more, depositing more and more pennies into our account. That means we've got to dedicate ourselves not only to our leadership, but also to our growth. As we wrap up, uh, there's so much to learn from, so much to be challenged by these two examples, and hopefully... We find joy in serving and joy in, in giving of ourselves. And I want to encourage us with just, just one more passage, one more place where Jesus himself talks about finding joy in serving the Lord. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. We call it the parable of the talents. You're probably familiar with that. And he tells a story of this master who's going away and uh, on a long journey, and uh, he puts his servants in charge of some of his resources, his talents, and and uh, he, he comes back and he asks the servants to account for what they did with his resources, what they did with the talents. And so it's a parable, which means it has parallels to our spiritual lives. And so it's really a story about uh, how are you and I serving the Lord? How are we using the resources, the talents that God has given us? And in the parable, there's two servants that have done well. They've, they've been faithful in what God called them to. And the master has a very stirring commendation for them. He, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And then he adds something that we, we oftentimes forget. He says, enter into the joy of your master. Serving the Lord brings joy. And leadership, it brings a, a special kind of a joy. They both bring the kind of joy that can only be found in losing ourselves, giving ourselves up for the sake of the gospel. 
And I want it to be said of each and every one of us, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. God, we are uh, humbled by the examples that you provide for us. Humbled because we know that apart from you, we can't measure up to those things. And we know that uh, your economy is upside down, that the way to find ourselves is to lose ourselves in you, to to give ourselves up so that we can be found in you. And we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants. We want to be giving our lives for your sake. And I pray that you would use these examples to inspire us in our leadership, inspire us in our service to you, and give us what we need to, even this week, to serve you with joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Uh, This is a great message for kids. I mean, you think about all the things you try to teach your kids. Don't do this, don't do that. If they could choose joy, we might find that they just were able to get themselves on a good track. So in a few minutes here, we'll be giving our offering. And if you haven't filled out your blue card, please do so. That's how we keep track of um, how many people are coming and all that kind of stuff, the needs that are, are out there.